1: If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask a guest, go to masterleadership.org for more information. Today we are speaking with Jennifer Longmore leading authority on soul purpose, and elite business coach to enlightened entrepreneurs, is a sought-after media personality, three-time best-selling author, is world-renowned for her laser-like clarity in seeing into the depths of your soul and bridging your connection to universal consciousness. For more than 15 years, she has served clients in permanently shifting the limiting beliefs and patterns that prevent them from being who they really are so that they can live their most abundant, aligned, and accelerated soul's journey. With over 30,000 sole purpose sessions, including the who's who of actors, professional athletes, CEOs of leading companies, and other influential luminaries, Jennifer continues to offer these high-level sessions to souls who are really committed to shine their light. Welcome, Jennifer Longmore. How are you?
0: i am fantastic thank you how are you
1: i'm doing well so happy to have you on our podcast are you ready to pour into our listeners i am ready fantastic now jennifer can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now (laughs) how much time do we have
0: (laughs) (laughs) i remember well i'll say that i didn't know i was kind of a natural leader other people saw that in me And they kept putting me in positions of leadership. And I simultaneously didn't like to stand out. I liked things to be equitable. I didn't want to be put on a pedestal. When I was five, I was asked to sit in front of my class, above them, on a chair, holding a book up, (laughs) reading to the class from this book. Mm -hmm. And the principals were coming in. They were inviting in all these people from the school board. Look at this girl reading to her class. And I did not want to do that. Mm -hmm. But I got pressured into doing that. I got sent to a leadership camp when I was in grade eight by the principal for two weeks. And I took it because my parents (laughs) made me go, but Mm -hmm. I really... I don't know if I had some sort of intuitive sense that there was a great responsibility in really consciously identifying with leadership or why I had resistance around it. Any sports teams I played, I always got just naturally made the captain of the team. And I really didn't like that. I preferred to play sports where we were all working together rather than someone standing out and getting all the glory. That just was my nature. And then when I went to university, I ended up even in like seemingly small roles, ended up getting put in leadership positions and having to challenge other leaders. When I was in university, I worked at the, it's a really long name. It was called the Sexual Harassment and Anti-Discrimination Office (laughs) in a very white university. And Mm -hmm. I was like... I don't know, 2021 20, at the time, having to go and talk to very tenured white professors mm-hmm. about why it was not okay to openly comment in a lecture hall of a thousand people about someone's body shape mm-hmm. or why it was not okay to use racial slurs. And when I reflect back on that, I think, you know, oftentimes we're given what we need to do, whether or not we think we're ready. It's almost like we wouldn't be given that stuff if it wasn't meant to shape us and help us evolve. So I feel like I still evolve my leadership journey because there's always aspects of our wounded inner child that need to be healed and, you know, our constructs. I think even as society changes, our definition of leadership naturally has to evolve with it. So I think I can sit here today saying that I really actually don't know much about leadership, if that makes any sense. Like I have a lot of lived experience where maybe other people might see me that way. But I feel like there's still a lot for me to learn. A lot.
1: And you know what? Honestly, that's a great place to be. Yeah. Because I really question leaders who say, oh, yeah, I know everything about leadership. And so the fact that you're open to still learning and you are where you are, what is it you're doing now?
0: Well, when I left university, I went and worked in forensics for years. And so I had to hold a leadership energy right mm-hmm. and when i would go and take the stand as like a 23 year old social mm-hmm. worker i'd have to take the stand and so when i left there i eventually went into what i do now which i've been doing for a really long time which is doing healing work with people teaching people courses on how to get clear on their purpose and how to lead their communities, right? I have a community that I've led for many years and people come and go, but I have a certain message of let's, you know, live in as much consciousness as possible. Let's spread as much light as we can. Let's really figure out how to use our business as a tool for spreading our purpose and a tool for spreading activism and using our platforms for more than just selling so that's kind of where things are now and for the most part I offer soul purpose training and so on but I the majority of my time my actual time is spent coaching I'll say light workers, leaders, mm-hmm. change agents, thought leaders in how to really expand their reach and their impact and part of that is making more money because you know, we need that money to reinvest into spreading our message, hiring team members to help us spread our message even more and Mm -hmm. so on and so on. Right now with everything going on with the pandemic, you know, initially I thought, oh geez, I'm gonna have to really pull back on my expenses. But then I realized, no, this is the time I actually need to pour more money into my business and actually hire more team members to get my message out there even more because it's clear regardless of what our perspective is of what's actually going on in the world it's clear that we are in a paradigm shift we are in the greatest awakening we'll probably ever see that's just my opinion so if there was never a time to be way more mindful about what we put out into the world and how many lives we want to impact i think now is the time my company is called soul journeys and i've had that now full time for 16 years So it initially started out with me doing intuitive readings for people, hosting classes on meditation, hosting classes on the power of intention and how to manifest. I used to teach Reiki a lot. And then over time, I started getting asked by people, hey, you've got this great healing practice. You're busy. You're clearly doing well. Can you teach me how to do this? And I thought, oh, yeah, as a one-off, I'll teach this person. And then another person would ask me. And then I realized, oh, our business is one of the greatest vehicles to put our purpose out into the world. It doesn't mean we're not purposeful if we do it in other ways. It's just that if we want to share our gifts and make a living, our business actually has a lot of potency because the only limit on us is the one that we put on ourselves. And how can we connect with you? Well, I spend a lot of time on Facebook for as long as Facebook's going to be up. I don't know with what I'm hearing, I think may be changing. Uh, so I have a group called the Purpose Posse on Facebook, which is for entrepreneurs that want to really lead from soul. And I'm on LinkedIn. I just show up on LinkedIn differently because it's a different vibe on LinkedIn than it is on Facebook. I have uh, Instagram. I just created a new quiz, which I'm really excited about. I just want to be respectful of what's going on in the world. So I haven't fully launched it yet. I'm trying to be mindful of not being tone deaf to what's going on, but I know people can listen to this at various times. So the quiz that I just launched is www.souljourneys with an s.ca forward slash quiz. And that helps us to uncover our business archetype, how we share our gifts in the world but also how we make money because money has different layers of importance to us and what we want to do with it once we get a deeper understanding of where we're at then we can a celebrate our gifts and expand them even more but then also Mm -hmm. see our blind spots and of course then develop a plan to deal with the blind spots
1: and certainly you have a higher level of awareness about yourself about people that you're in touch with people that you influence And I know that I heard your journey and how you were put into leadership, but we have all various types of leadership in our hearts and in our minds, but you're driving people with the soul. That's a connection that you probably had as a kid and people saw it in you, although you weren't ready to receive it yet, but I can see how you've grown into this great leadership role and an important leadership role. I wrote down several things you said because sometimes in my experience there has been either experiences that we've had that lead us into our purpose once we become aware of that but you said a couple of things you talked about the wounded inner child you talked about being involved in the sexual harassment organization you also talked about healing work and it makes me wonder what is it that led you to this work
0: that's a great question so yes i grew up in a very spiritually aware family we weren't tied to any religion it was more of a sense of universal consciousness and my parents believe that you know we reincarnate and so on. My grandfather used to solve crimes with the police as a psychic medium. So I was just used to being able to speak openly and share whatever came through, not always knowing that it was an actual intuitive download. And when I was four, my parents took us for a past life regression to see why we all came together in this lifetime and what business we still needed to kind of work out between each other. But when they went off to have theirs as a couple, I was sitting on the edge of this pool and all these adults swam up and said, Oh, hello, little girl. Oh, where do you think God comes from? Or like some sort of Mm -hmm. cute little thing. Right. And I guess I just started channeling and then more and more people gathered around to listen to these messages. So there was a lot of Hints as a kid, I used to sit my dolls in a circle around me and just speak in gobbledygook because I felt such a need to teach and teach in community, right? Teach in a circle. Years later, when I started my business and I would lead these meditation circles and I would lead these healing circles, I would have a total moment of, I don't know that deja vu is the right word, but I would flash back to my childhood and think, oh my goodness, this was foreshadowing what I was meant to step into and I had no idea. As far as the sexual harassment stuff goes, I can't really say that anything happened in my life where I felt like I really needed to take a stand for women, but I've always been a stand for women. I remember reading magazines when I was really young about women that had been very viciously violated. Articles would be written in magazines. I feel like that was happening a lot back then, a lot of child abductions. And I just remember feeling like, oh my goodness, I cannot imagine what it must have been like to go through that. I just felt like I needed to take a stand. So when I was at the sexual harassment office, I was also a student, as I mentioned, and I didn't feel safe walking home off campus. Mm. I was one of the lucky ones that never had like 8 a.m. classes, but I um, realized that if I felt that way, then I needed to create some space and the greatest time for women to get assaulted. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen to men, by the way, but if we're right, honest, right. it happens a lot to women right. in the first week of university. Mm -hmm. is when you have the highest rate of sexual assault happening. And we like to chalk it up to what was she wearing? How much did she have to drink? Oh, you know, it's just immaturity. People don't know their own sexual energy yet. Like, you know, all the stuff, minimizing it. And so what was happening back then was that girls that were being assaulted were expected to go back in the dorm where their abuser was. And it wasn't that the abuser would be asked to leave. It was that the girl was told... Well, if you don't like it here, if you don't feel safe, we've given you a place to live, but if that doesn't work for you, then I guess you can go find somewhere else to live. So I arranged an initiative where we could partner with the YWCA to have an emergency room available for any time that happened, where sadly, you know, it's not like we wanted to encourage it, that it was her responsibility, but knowing that she would have nowhere else to live, we wanted to have funding for that and have an arrangement with the YWCA so that she at least had a place to stay and transportation arranged for her to get to the university. And then simultaneously having an ability to have people walk you to and from classes, regardless of the time of day. And so that was a pretty big initiative to create. And I I actually kind of forgot about that until it got brought up recently, but I believe that women will change the world. I know that women already are changing the world and the more power we can have with more women to really feel safe in sharing their voice Mm -hmm. and being able to fully express their gifts on the planet. Mm -hmm. I think we'll see a very different planet. I wrote down empathy
1: because you have strong empathy and it's just inspiring. And I love that about you. And I'm just getting to know you. So, this is exciting. Um, So, Jennifer, tell
0: me Mm -hmm. what quotes or advice
1: have helped you during crises?
0: I don't know that there's any particular quotes that stand out. You know, some of the things I've seen this week have really made me rethink. And I saw a post from Martin Luther King Jr.'s son about how he didn't appreciate people essentially hijacking his dad's quotes because his dad was killed and was the most hated man in America at that time based on the polls, right? I don't know if that was true in the reality of what people were living at that time, but what was being reported through mainstream media was that he was the most hated man in the world. And he still could have been in light of what's going on right now and the climate that we're in. We don't know. We don't have that luxury of knowing. But I listened to that and I thought, yeah, that must be very surreal to see the same people that probably oppressed his dad are the same people that are using his image and his words right now. You know, because we know anyone that says that racism doesn't exist, I, I don't even understand the motivation of that. And many races and many ethnicities are experiencing racism on varying degrees on a very daily basis. I have the privilege to be outside of that, to step back and use my platform for other voices and other things that are going on.
1: Hey leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. Do you get headaches or not feel quite right after a glass or two of wine? Well, you're not alone. I recently discovered organic, clean-crafted wines that are a game-changer for me. Scout & Cellar has a clean-crafted commitment to ensure that they produce wines without synthetic chemicals as they take care of the earth in the process. I can now enjoy wine without any adverse effects. Visit scoutandcellar.com forward slash Lily. That's S C O U T A N D C E L L A R.com forward slash L I L Y and learn more about these delicious wines. You'll be glad you did. Great leaders deserve great wines.
0: One of my favorite quotes, though, is from Mahatma Gandhi, which is, uh, you don't have permission to walk through my mind with your dirty feet. Mm. And I think that applies at any time. But there's something about that, because you can Mm. really get the image of someone taking their nonsense and walking through your brain, like you just wouldn't let that happen. Mm. And then the other quote I really love, and again, it's not even that it's just useful in crisis, although I think it's actually particularly important right now is a quote by the Dalai Lama, which is that if you think you can't make a difference, think about what it's like to be a mosquito in a tent or something like that, right? Where, like, we like to think that that's just this small little thing. You're, yeah, you're too small to make that, a difference. That, yeah, but let's be honest a mosquito can make Keep you a big up all ripple. night, right? Exactly. So, you know, I get asked a lot right now how to lead. And I don't lie to people, there's no playbook for this. Nobody gave us the handbook on how to deal with this level of awakening. Nobody's done it. So what do I rely on? I say, okay, well, I know I have to be authentic. I know I have to listen more. I know that I have to take care of myself from a, just a self-care perspective, right? Like, is my energy high? Am I putting the right foods in my body? Am I drinking enough water? All of the things that allow the vessel to have enough energy hold space for people. And that's really what I'm trying to do right now is just hold space for people's tender hearts. I'm meeting them with the understanding that their heart is probably tender and probably more tender than they realize because a lot of trauma is being activated. A lot of Stockholm syndrome is being activated. A lot of old, old wounds, generational wounds and so on and so on and so on. So I don't need to be telling people how to navigate this. I need to hold space for them and lock arms with them. You know, I'm a big fan of compound leadership At this stage of my journey so it's not about the results that i get for people it's not about the results that i get in my business those come those are a natural byproduct of me focusing on how can i help other leaders help other people have transformation so when i'm being a model for what that looks like then i feel like the ripple effect is more potent than me just focusing on how do i become a better leader i'm naturally going to become a better leader life, helping someone else figure out how they can better lead their community.
1: I'm just listening with all my heart because when you talk about holding space for people, I can see that energy and it's flowing through the technology from Toronto to to New York. I want you to know. And it's so positive and it's so encouraging and it's so uplifting. So thank you. So, you know, many use the term lifelong learner. What does
0: that Uh mean to you? And what are you learning right now? Oh my goodness. Where do we start? I'm going to venture a guess that all leaders are lifelong learners. In well, you would think. We just, right? Well, I guess, yeah, there's people that are put in positions of leadership. yeah, I guess the people that are lived leaders, meaning like they're embodied in that. I think it's inevitable that we always want to grow and evolve. I think we're just curious by nature. I think my curiosity I enjoy having my perception stretched. I enjoy thinking that I hold a certain value about something until something else comes along and helps me to shift my perspective or at least take in multiple points of view. I think that's what one of the things we're all learning right now is that we can hold multiple perceptions and have it all be okay.
1: You know, I write down things as people speak and there are a couple of things about you and you said it curiosity you're a very curious leader you value others tremendously and you love humanity and to me that's who you are as a leader and you're also optimistic about people and and you think <laughs> higher of them which is needed so jennifer when you think about leadership today globally mm-hmm. in our government however you want to think of it what
0: most concerns you and what are you most hopeful about i'm for team humanity I believe at the core we all know what we need to do. We may not know how to do it, and I think we all know that something needs to shift. I can speak for myself the systems that I enjoy we're all ultimately if you trace it back through history, we're all built on the oppression of other people the car I drive, the food I eat, you know the lifestyle that I have it's not because I wanted it to be that way. But if we're really honest with ourselves, our system was designed to be exactly what it's showing us right now. And if we want a different world, and that different world is being forced on us, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we have to dismantle anything that contributed to the oppression of other people. We just can't have that in the new paradigm. And I don't have all the answers. And Lord knows, I've got a lot of learning to still do and unlearning. For me, you know, I thought it was enough to say, well, I'm not racist and hold space for everyone. But now I'm learning and I'm so grateful that I'm learning this, that I have to actually be anti-racist. I have to really take a stand and use my privilege to create a space of equity because equity and equality i'm learning is not the same thing you know if someone's trying to look over a fence and one person's six feet tall one person's three feet tall and one person's four and a half feet tall right giving them each a one foot box because we want to be equal to all look over the fence well the person who's six feet tall can already look over the fence they don't need that stool to stand on but the person that's Four and a half feet tall, right, mm-hmm. needs a few of those stools to be able to equally look over the fence, right? So that's kind of a simple explanation of equity, but I'm learning the difference because I, for example, this week have pulled back my promotions. I've really focused on showcasing various people and what their contributions are, not because I'm trying to pander or anything like that. This is something I've done anyways, but I really stepped back from promoting anything this week so that you know, some of the white voices could be muted to give people an opportunity even for the algorithms to pick up around their messages and stuff, right? Mm. But I think that we just can't have racism as part of our new paradigm. It's incongruent. It's not a vibrational match for where we're going. And then how does that bleed into all of our other systems? And then on top of that, there's corruption in all of our systems. And we can't have corruption. We have to rewire how we're designing our financial structure, designing how we consume things, and how we treat our environment. I'd like to think that when the pandemic started, you could see posts going around social media where people started to get that. Like we really were forced to get in touch with what really matters. And I think we're still unraveling that, right? And kind of learning more about that And then in the midst of that, of course, we have the situation with George Floyd being the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, right? You know, everyone wants to dissect and analyze that. It's like, guys, at this point, it actually is less about how we got here, like, you know, who or what was the incident. It's about the fact that that needed to be illuminated. And at this point, it's not about being right or wrong about whether it was staged, whether it was this, whether it's, you know, a tactic from the liberals, whether it's a tactic from the Republicans, it actually doesn't matter at this point, the wound is gaping open, it's raw, and it's Mm -hmm. been raw for a long time. And for us to go into the smoke screening and the bypassing, and the let's say, analyze why this happened, no, we're kind of beyond that. We need to tend to the blood right now, the wound is bleeding. We need to tend to that right now. That's the priority. And I believe that in tending to that wound, it's going to actually create a massive ripple effect. It has to create a massive ripple effect for everyone else on the planet. And I can't speak to all of that simply because I'm still learning and I don't know as much about history. Plus, I also at this point don't trust history, quite honestly. I'm seeing way too many examples of how the history we've been told isn't necessarily the history as it was, right? So, what I do know is that I can show up from a place of compassion and empathy right now. I can keep learning, which is what I'm doing, how I can show up as a better ally mm. and be okay to be vulnerable about that instead of trying to protect it or defend it or scream, I'm not a racist, right? Like, all of that stuff's just old news. <laughs> and I posted in my group and I posted it to my email list. And like I shared with you before, there was some interesting responses from people that I, you know, honestly expect different responses in the light worker community. I expect us to actually be having committed to doing our own shadow work and our own inner child work. I know that's naive of me. I totally own that. I really thought I would have seen a more evolved response from some people in my mm-hmm. community. I feel the same way with
1: the community I'm involved with, which is a faith-based Christian community. The stuff that it's stirring and the things that are coming out of people's mouths, it's quite a shocker. There's a lot of work to be done. And again, Mm -hmm. um, we had spoken about this prior, about how school organizations, the educational systems and the faith-based systems are being disrupted in in a way that should Mm -hmm. happen.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I I just watched a video this morning to talk about learning. This woman said all religions were created by people who were brown eyed. Mm -hmm. And yet we've been led to believe that they've all been created by white men. I think they've probably been taken over by white men. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And I don't know enough about the history of religion in general, Mm -hmm. because it wasn't, you know, Mm -hmm. something I was exposed to a lot as a kid. But yeah, I think Right now, I'm really appreciative of the opportunity to learn, like you said. I'm appreciative that I'm learning about racism as opposed to experiencing it. That's a massive, massive privilege that I don't know that a lot of people really get, even if they intellectually say they do. I'm really listening. I'm listening. I watched a video of a client of mine who's Slack. She's from Africa. She speaks French. She moved to the States, so she's already seen as an outsider. People are already looking at her as weird, according to what she shared, right? Mm -hmm. And she was so eloquent, but she said, you know, I really don't feel home here. And I think ultimately we all want to feel home. And that really hit me because I think every human being on the planet can relate to the fact that the one place we should feel safe is at home. And home is a variety of different things. Home might be in our religious institutions. It might be in our actual house. It might be in, you know, whatever communities we're in. And she said, at least when she was in Africa, there was racism happening like crazy there, but at least she was home. She had a home to go to. She still had a community there. And I thought, wow, like I can feel at home wherever I go. I've never felt unwelcome anywhere, ever. Right,
1: That's intense. My son, he's a Black young man. He's 17 years old. And, you know, this thing that's been coming to light in several churches, he never liked going to this particular church. I um, asked, I said, "Where is it that you don't like going there? And he says, Mom, I don't feel comfortable there. I don't feel I'm welcome, is what he said. And I know I, we used to take him to youth group all the time and he loved it. I said, at youth group? He goes, no, in the sanctuary. So I'm just sitting with that you know and i've expressed it so that people can understand like even if it's hidden people feel it Uh you know even if you try to hide something like that people get that energy and he's very intuitive my son is extremely intuitive his energy is so high like he can read my energy across the room whether i'm sad angry like i could be smiling and he's like what's wrong you know, he's amazing. He's an amazing, amazing young man. So thank you for sharing that. I, I really appreciate that, Jennifer. Now, I have a question here from Arielle Garten, and she wants to know, what have you learned from times when you have not been a great leader?
0: That's a great question. Mm-hmm. I'll answer it this way. I think that the times I haven't been a great leader is when I had a need to be right, rather than a need to be open Mm. and I see a lot of you know myself included it's much easier for me to catch it now where I'm stepping into right fighter energy Mm. and my husband and I work on that a lot not because we're in a bad place we're actually in a good place because we have really done a good job at avoiding being right and shifting into let's just be heard and we're on the same team instead of trying to have a winner and a loser on the same team, right? It's incongruent. Right. The way in which we interact needs to be reflective of the fact that we truly believe that we're on the same team. So we can't have someone who's right and someone who's wrong. I feel like that's true in anything. And so I have learned and I'm still, of course, evolving. I'm really doing my best to put aside my ego. And I feel like the sooner we step into an energy of fascination. You know, when someone brings something to our attention, if we are in fascination, you can't be in judgment. It's impossible to hold the two at the same time. And if we're in judgment or we're feeling judged, we'll naturally want to be defensive. So instead I go into fascination and really stay curious, inquire, why is this person bringing this to me? Or I'll even ask them, can you give me a sense of where you first noticed this or what eventually happened to cause you to bring this to my attention, things like that then I can understand because a lot of times it's other people's triggers too, right? And we're reminding them of their mom that they, you know, still maybe haven't sorted stuff through with or whatever. So I want to make sure the energy's clean is my point Mm -hmm. and look at where do I own my part in it and how can I contribute better? The other thing I learned about teams is that when I first started hiring team members, because I was a lone wolf, when I first started hiring team members, if something went wrong, it was easy to just go, why did you mess that up? And that doesn't usually go over so well, right? But regardless, by the way, of how many times you tell someone they're doing a great job, when your first reaction is to look at, well, what did you do wrong versus what could have been done differently here? Or I've now learned where's the system? So whenever something goes wrong in my business, I don't instantly assume my team has screwed it up. I actually take ownership for it and say, okay, do we have a system for this particular situation? If we don't have a system, we need to create one. If we do have a system, but it's no longer working, we need to reevaluate it. Mm. And then if all of those things are in place and someone, for example, continues to drop the ball on something that's actually important for the business, then it's a different conversation. But I've learned to look at where are the systemic issues first before I start making it more you know, personal.
1: That's a great response and spoken like a true leader because taking responsibility (laughs) is where it starts. So I really appreciate that. Now, Jennifer, as a listener of this podcast, what is a question that you would like a future leadership guest to respond to?
0: I want to know what their vision is for the new paradigm and how we treat each other and what their contribution is going to be to that. Thank you so much. That's a great question. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I just am really grateful to be here during this awakening and I'm so grateful to be here with everyone that is witnessing it and experiencing it and contributing to it. You know when we can step into that penthouse viewpoint and really just look at it objectively and be an observer it is incredible that we get to experience this right now.
1: Well, Jennifer, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. It's been a great conversation. Thank you for having me. It's been a real honor. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, Continue to ignite that leader in you.